It's TechBiter Worldwide with Bill Flynn. The latest on programs and policies, helpful hints, and a bit of occasional nonsense. All in more or less plain English. Podcast number 838 for the 30th of June, 2023. This week, whether you need to replace a notebook computer that has a built-in screen or find a new monitor for your desktop system, it's important to think about screen size and resolution. In short circuits, renaming one or two files is easy, but when you're faced with hundreds of files that need to be renamed, it's time to call for the bulk file renamer. Generative fill, which Adobe refers to as Firefly, can make image modifications in seconds. These changes previously would have taken hours. I have an example. And 20 years ago, only on the website, in 2003, Microsoft had a security problem with version 9 of the media player. When it's time to replace a monitor or buy a new notebook computer, it's also time to think about the size and resolution of the screen. How readable text is on the screen is a factor of the physical size of the monitor, that's typically measured in inches diagonally, and the number of pixels on the screen, and that's typically measured horizontally and vertically. Making the process a bit more complex is the fact that monitors should be operated at their native resolution. Using any other resolution will result in fuzzy text. And yes, it is possible to have too much resolution. A notebook computer is my primary computer. It has a 15-inch ultra-high-definition display, UHD. That means 3,840 by 2,160 pixels. The screen resolution is nearly 300 pixels per inch. That's the equivalent of a high-quality glossy magazine, and it is perfect for displaying images. Not so much for text, though. Even running the monitor scaled to 200%, which is what Microsoft recommends, text is too small. Fortunately, I don't depend on the computer's built-in monitor, and running it at 2560 by 1440 pixels using 100% scaling works, even though the image is slightly less sharp. That's okay because I primarily use two external 27-inch monitors that have native resolutions of 2560 by 1440 pixels. That's referred to as Quad High Definition, QHD. That's only about 110 pixels per inch resolution, but it's more than adequate given my viewing distance of about 25 inches. So two factors that are important to consider when you're selecting a monitor is its physical size and the resolution. Larger monitors mean larger text, and higher resolution means smaller text. Most monitors today are in the 17 to 30 inch range. Smaller monitors for specialized purposes are available, as are monitors that are much larger. And if you've wondered whether a single gigantic monitor can take the place of two smaller monitors, my recommendation is no, even though it's possible by creating virtual desktops. If you've decided that you want two monitors, buy two monitors. I can't name a single person who has gone back to a single monitor after using a setup with two. And my opinion is that larger monitors are better. 
Over the years, I've migrated from one 24-inch monitor to two 24-inch monitors to two 27-inch monitors, and now two 27-inch monitors and the notebook's 15-inch monitor. I would install even larger monitors, but doing so would require rebuilding the office to accommodate them. One monitor is placed so that it is in front of me, the second monitor where I can see it by looking right a bit. That's where I place reference materials. The notebook computer's screen is further to the right and set back a little bit. It's where supervisor functions run and where I keep a clock. For me, the primary monitor works best on the left. Perhaps that may be because I'm right-handed, but I am left-eyed. Most monitors use OLED technology, or in Samsung's case, QLED technology. That's the best choice because they produce the most dynamic range, deep dark blacks and bright whites. And despite the similar names, OLED and QLED are quite different technologies. Today's choices for resolution are mainly full high definition, FHD, quad high definition, QHD, and ultra high definition, UHD. You won't find most of the older technologies anywhere in stores today. That would include 800 by 600 SVGA Super Video Graphics Array. That was a big deal in the late 1980s, all but useless now. 1024 by 768 XGA Extended Graphics Array. IBM introduced that standard in 1990. You can still find it in some inexpensive notebook computers. More common, 1920 by 1080 Full High Definition FHD. That's the resolution used by 1080p and 1080i television screens, and it's the lowest resolution I would consider usable today for computers. 2560 by 1440 is quad high definition QHD. That's perhaps the most common resolution now. It's also called WQHD, wide quad high D. 3840 by 2160, ultra high definition UHD. 4K televisions use that standard and it is becoming more popular. And there's 5120 by 2880, 5K ultra high definition. And 2680 by 4320. 8K UHD. Both of those are probably overkill for computer monitors, and not having unlimited funds, I would disregard them, at least right now. Both QHD and UHD monitors will probably be adequate for many years, even as 5K and 8K UHD monitors begin to be adopted more generally. On the TechBiter Worldwide website, you'll see a couple of images that illustrate some of the key points. One shows the TechBiter Worldwide website full screen on VGA, SVGA, XGA, and QHD screens. Websites at one time were designed to work with 800 by 600 monitors. Most now expect at least 1024 by 768, although a well-designed website will accommodate smaller screens, including those used by mobile devices. The TechBiter Worldwide website doesn't expand to fill any browser window larger than 1,600 pixels wide. That's intentional, because allowing extremely long lines of text would make the text much more difficult to read on high-res screens. And the other image you'll see on the TechBiter Worldwide website shows an XGA screen side-by-side -side with a QHD screen. Quad high definition seems to be the current sweet spot for resolution and price. And that brings us to a third question, specifically regarding how much to spend. Maybe that depends on how much money you have. 
If you want to spend $2,000 per monitor, or even more, you certainly can, and you'll acquire the highest quality devices. But do you really need that amount of quality? Will you see the difference? Even inexpensive monitors can be surprisingly good, but plan to spend at least $200 per monitor if your primary computer use is editing photos or videos. And if you are a professional photo or video editor, stick with higher range monitors, well above $200. Two specifications that most people can ignore are the refresh rate, that's the number of times per second that a new image appears on the screen, and response time, how fast a monitor responds to changes. These are closely related and they're dependent on the computer's video subsystem. The most common rate is 60 Hz with approximately a 5 millisecond response time. Intense gamers look for the fastest response time, sometimes less than 4 milliseconds, and the highest refresh rate, possibly in excess of 200 Hz. This speed is great for gamers. Not so good for photographers and videographers, though. For most general users, 60 to 75 hertz is adequate, with 5 millisecond response time. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. Short circuits, the bulk rename utility, which is free for personal, private use at home, is one of my favorite infrequently used utilities. If you occasionally need to rename more than just a few files, it might become one of your favorites too. Renaming a few files is a trivial process. Select a file, click it again, and type the new name. Or right-click it and choose Rename. Or press F2 and type the new name. But what if you have 50 files you need to rename? Or 500? Well, now it's not so easy, and that's when I reach for the bulk rename utility. One common use involves renaming files from a digital camera. You might come back from a party, a vacation, or some other event with hundreds of pictures with names like dsc1695.dng or img underscore 1695.jpg. Maybe you'd like to rename the images so they all start with vacation. And you'd like to add your initials at the end of the file name to differentiate your photos from those taken by other family members. Option 7 for the bulk rename utility allows for prefixes such as vacation and suffixes such as BB. After filling in the prefix and suffix text, I can select the files to be renamed and see a preview of the new file names. After pressing the rename button, I'll see a confirmation from the renamer. Prefixes and suffixes are possibly the easiest options, but there are many, many more. You'll notice I started with option 7. So many possibilities, in fact, that the interface may seem intimidating at first. Don't worry, though. You need not touch any of the other options unless you want to use them. 
To make things safer, the bulk renamer previews the new names, and even if you accidentally give it instructions that would give all of the files the same name, the process stops immediately with an error message after the first file is renamed. You'll find 14 major sections that include nearly 30 text boxes, more than 20 checkboxes, and about a dozen drop-down selection lists. To learn how every option works, download the manual. The manual is more than 50 pages long, but there is a handy online FAQ that'll answer most of your questions. If you understand how regular expressions work, the regex option will be a powerful friend. Most people haven't studied regular expressions, also known as regex. That may be because doing so requires reading and understanding one or more 1,000-page books. I know enough about regex to be dangerous, so I usually choose one of the other options. Without using regex, I can rename files and folders, replace multiple file names with a fixed file name and a sequential number, convert file names or extensions to lowercase or uppercase or title case, add a secondary extension or remove it, replace any text in the file name with any other text, add a fixed prefix or suffix, add text to the middle of the file name, remove any number of characters from the beginning or end of the file name, and on and on and on. Even if you need to rename multiple files only occasionally, I think this is a utility you should have. I seem to use it maybe once or twice a month, and I'm always glad to have it in the toolkit. You can download it for free from the Bulk Rename Utility website. And there's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. been having a lot of fun with Adobe's generative fill feature that's currently available in the beta version of Photoshop. Anyone who has licensed a version of Creative Cloud that includes Photoshop can download the beta and install it alongside the production version. Simply for my own amusement, I check with holiday calendar and days of the year websites to identify holidays and other special days. June 30th, for example, is National Asteroid Day and National Meteor Watch Day, in addition to Social Media Day, National Cream Tea Day, and several other events. Once I've identified a day to commemorate, I visit Canva and find a photo to use. Then I can create a graphic, also known as a meme, and post it to my Facebook account on the appropriate day. And by the way, you will find links to Holiday Calendar, Days of the Year, and Canva on the TechBiter Worldwide website. So looking a bit ahead, I found that Monday the 14th of August is National Creamsicle Day. I found a creamsicle image, but it was nearly square, and the memes I create are always 2048 by 1075 pixels. So I called on Adobe's generative fill AI technology, Firefly. After placing the image on the left side of a blank 2048 by 1075 pixel image, I selected the blank area at the right and activated generative fill. The feature provides three suggestions each time it's run, I liked the second of the three images best. Note that there is a person on a bike at the edge of the original image. The bike's back tire was cropped out of the original. Firefly completed it, more or less, extended the grassy area and the sky, and even included some new people on the beach. However, there's something with two wheels that appears to be incomplete. 
You'll see it on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Well, that called for a second pass with Firefly of just that smaller area. I liked the rest of the image, wanted to get rid of only the phantom wheeled thing, so I selected the area around it and ran Firefly again. The result, I thought, was perfect for my needs. I had a creamsicle on the left with a large open area of grass where I could place some text. You'll see the result on the TechBiter Worldwide website. And you might wonder if there are other changes I would make. And indeed, there are. The thumbnail of the person holding the cone is damaged. That could be fixed. The rectangular box at the left of the cone is distracting. So is the yellow child carrier between the cone and the bike with the person in blue. I haven't made those changes yet, but maybe I'll see what I can do with Firefly's assistance between now and mid-August. No tricky manipulation is needed with 20 years ago, which you'll find on the TechBiter Worldwide website. In 2003, Microsoft had a security problem with version 9 of the media player. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn. There's more on the website, techbiter.com, and if you have a question or a comment, use the contact link you'll find there. Stop by again next week for another session. <music>